Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where the only thing harder to find these days than an actual victory is, well, Vivian, both A and E, Vivian, Vivian. Although apparently he, she's back on Twitter to try and stop the Vivian curse. Whether it's actually her slash him, who knows, but this is where we're at this season. Now this is going to be fun, part two. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, so how fun has this been for you? Uh, not fun at all, Jonathan. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Great. Uh, so I just noticed that we only put out one episode last month in April, which is probably the first time we've done that in, I don't know, five years. Um, I've been busy. I think we've all been busy, but I just came back from a trip to Atlanta, which I highly suggest visiting if you're vaccinated because it is a beautiful city that I would say has a little bit of the New York City is a little bit New York City plus Portland in terms of the vibe. So it's it's a lot hipper, or my girlfriend tells me it's become a lot hipper slash hipster over the last few years, but it also has that East Coast City vibe with like the big lush green parks in the middle of the city. So had a great time in Atlanta. That's why we didn't put out an episode. And also, I just didn't want to talk about the Lakers. Can you blame me? Uh, so Tommy, this episode is going to be uh, pretty simple. We're going to vent and uh, vent out our frustrations about where this team is at because, I mean, truth be told, you know, the last episode we talked about how, you know, none of us were, or I wasn't particularly alarmed with even LeBron going down during um, the stretch that we had because I thought we'd be able to weather the storm. And we did. We didn't drop to seventh. Now, what I didn't anticipate happening was once we got Anthony Davis back, and then LeBron James after him, that that's the point at which we would slip to seventh. So do you have any explanation for that? I mean, we're going to we're gonna go into that, but I'm guessing the irony of it all, I mean, were you expecting this? I, I know that there was going to be some sort of transitional period when Anthony Davis got back. I just didn't think we were going to look worse. And whatever momentum we called up in, you know, kind of treading water, in that non-AD, non-LeBron James stretch has gone totally out the door. Yeah, I I don't really have like a great explanation for it other than you could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the continuity, it's sort of, you know, kind of meaningless in some ways. I, I think that was like such a big thing for us last year that went so overlooked 
by some, I mean, some people noticed it, right? But we weren't necessarily the most talented team on paper. I mean, I think you could very, very easily, even in hindsight, make the argument that strictly by, you know, one through 12 or whatever talent on a roster, you, you could point to at least one or two other teams that had, you know, more talent than us. But our continuity, like we were a really good team. What made the team last year so fun to watch was they were a cohesive unit. It never, of course, you know, in a long season, you go through lulls here and there, but what the issues that we're having kind of right now are, even though we do have our, our, you know, the big chunk of our talent back, we don't have that continuity. I mean, we saw it, you know, when AD went down originally, I think we went like one and three in the immediate aftermath of that. Right. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, when LeBron went out, we, lost it, it like looked i mean frankly like we were never going to win a game <laughs> the rest of the season right i mean like we were ho- like five wins seemed optimistic in in the stretch that he'd be out and you know to your point we in some ways exceeded expectations in the stretch that they were both out but it took time in both cases and mm-hmm. you know maybe uh, i i think that's kind of what's happening here just a little bit less expected i guess in some ways because we it's like you're getting so much talent back. You figure that'll solve your problems. Right. And, and it just, at this stage in the season, it it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I think we're realizing we're running out of time. And on top of that, to your point, I think this is like the sixth iteration we've had of this roster uh, in terms of, you know, first we had the non-AD stretch, but then all of a sudden Schroeder went out with him. Uh, and then we did okay with LeBron. We were starting to pick up because Schroeder came back. So it was Schroeder and LeBron. And then after that, LeBron went down. And then we had the Schroeder and the rest of the guys, Kuzma, et cetera. And then we got Drummond in. So that was a new iteration of that unit. We started to pick up some steam. And then all of a sudden, AD's back. LeBron's back on top of that. And Schroeder, who had a really good stretch for a while there, and was looking like he had a sense of control over the team, all of a sudden is going back to his bad ways. You know, the turnover prone, uh, feeling antsy when he finally gets a shot at the ball because Anthony Davis has the ball, Drummond needs the ball, LeBron James is back. So it's been a mess. They, the Lakers have looked disconnected. You're hearing the quotes out from Frank Vogel, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and they do not sound good at all. It sounds like you know, the Lakers have put up this, I don't know if it's a front, maybe it's more confidence. Um, and, you know, we should totally give them the benefit of the doubt having won the championship last year. But now the quotes that are coming out kind of hints to me of a team that all of a sudden reality is setting into them, that they don't have that much time. And literally, Frank, I don't know if you saw this, but Frank Vogel just said that the team is shook. He used the term shook. Okay, so the team is shooketh, Tommy. So that doesn't that doesn't sound good to me, you know, and they're starting to I don't want to say they're starting to come up with excuses, but it kind of sounds like that, you know, And, and I don't think this quote from LeBron is an excuse, but I don't know how you felt when he said last night that seating's not going to matter if I'm not 100 percent healthy. Yeah, like what he's saying is true. But to me, that's almost a resigned, and, and he, ha- he had a previous cro- quote where he also said, I don't think I'm ever going to get back to 100%, you know? Um, so to follow that quote up with this one, saying that seating doesn't matter if I'm not 100% healthy, to me, that's an admittance of, I'm not going to be healthy this season, so screw everything, yeah. you know? And that, <laughs> that's how I took it. I know you can take it another way in terms of, we need to focus on my health in this period of time. 
But to me, it was more nihilistic. And I apologize if this episode is going to sound nihilistic. Quickly, um, the first half of this episode is just going to be us venting. The second half is us going to hope for the best and look at things glass half full and look for some silver linings with regards to where, with regards to the position the Lakers now find themselves. Uh, Currently, they are sixth in the West with uh, they're tied in the amount of losses uh, that they have with the Portland Trailblazers. And let's start with, in terms, with regards to our frustrations and venting and whatnot, let's start up top and not with the players first. Let's talk about how you felt the coaching staff and maybe even the front office has dealt with this season. Because I think for the most part, it was right to give them the benefit of the doubt given last year, and especially with the way that Frank Vogel handled the bubble seeding games last year. Because last year, I was in panic mode with regards to what are these rotations Frank is putting out there? How come they're treating the seeding games with no intentionality, with no sense of urgency? And you know what? I mean, the continuity that they culled up together as a group last year, that all ended up sort of tiding over any sense of lackadaisicalness or malaise that they were in during the seeding games. And they were able to turn on that switch even after three months off, you know. But this season is entirely different. And it almost seems to me like we're, to me, the championship hangover is real. And I feel like the Lakers have approached this season like it's just a carryover from last year because the turnaround was so short and the playoffs were so short. And I feel like they, 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 they feel like they can just rely on everything that they did last year without proper on-the-ground application and just rely on the talent that they were able to pick up in the offseason because this is the deepest, the most talented roster we've ever had. And I think I even have like a uh, – I think I actually said in a, an early podcast episode when we had all these amazing signings that – it was like an offhand comment, but I said – it's crazy. This is the deepest team we've ever had, maybe the best roster we've ever had on paper. It's almost too good to be true. And sometimes when it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And I feel like we're starting to feel that crunch. Now, granted, injuries, safety safety and health protocols, and just the wackiness of this season has derailed um, most of our most optimistic plans for this team. But and maybe you can carry the conversation from here. I don't think that Frank Vogel's calibration of this season has been particularly graceful. And again, a lot of that is due to the unexpected injuries that have cropped up at different times. It's like the staggering of the injuries didn't come well. But I think we can kind of all point this back to how we handled, and this is not the entire situation, but I started to see hints of like a crack in the Lakers' well-built culture over the last year and and how communicative they were. I mean, that was the those were the biggest praises of last year's team, right? The transparency, the top-down leadership, um, the communication from top to bottom, et cetera, et cetera. And I started to see cracks with how we handled the Marc Gasol situation and how I guess public that came out, how, how public that situation came, came to be with Mark becoming disgruntled. Clearly, I mean, the communication wasn't as good as Frank Vogel thought. And I think just the signing Andre Drummond is great. He came at a time when we needed him to. 
Um, but how we handled even him coming into the team, I felt like wasn't, I don't even know what to say, like, like PC. I don't think it was handled as well as we've handled things in the past with regards to We've been starting Marc Gasol the entire season, and the moment Drummond comes in, he's Marc Gasol is DNP'd, and we forget about him. And Frank just is able to explain all that away by saying, oh, we need to get Andre Drummond reps, and when, when we need Marc Gasol, we'll just throw him in there. As if Marc Gasol has been part of this organization for the last two, three years. You know, so that's my number one complaint and frustration that I feel like part of this is just, Frank Vogel's miscalibration and mishandling of how to properly time when he implements certain things. And then also just the mishandling of guys like Marcus Gasol and now Wes Matthews. I've said it all through the beginning of the season that I don't envy his position whatsoever. It's a tough position trying to find minutes for all of these talented guys while making sure that they have a rhythm. Um, but I just don't think it's been handled correctly even to this point. And I mean, you tack on top of that, I feel like the uh, nonchalance um, that Frank Vogel has had with his quotes with regards to, yeah, I'm still going to experiment, you know, this, these next eight games are going to be a bumpy ride while not failing to address the fact that we are sliding into the play-in games. And if you're actually worried about the health of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and all of these guys, a play-in game it's probably the worst case scenario for you because one, you have a shorter turnaround went to the playoffs. And then two, what if those guys get injured during that play-in game? You know what I mean? So <laughs> obviously there's a juggling act here that's been super tough for Frank Vogel, the front office, the, the coaching staff, the health, our, our, our health guys have had to juggle. I just don't think that it's been juggled well. And you, maybe you blame most of that on circumstance, but I feel like there are certain things that could have been done better and more intuitively. So what are your thoughts from we're talking about front office and maybe coaching first? Okay, but you covered a lot. So front office and coaching in, in what respect? I mean, I, I guess let's start with Frank Vogel's rotation. How the season? Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe approach the season because I think at the start of the season when everybody was healthy – Okay, fine. Everything makes sense. We're slow to implement things. We're, when we were first in the league, I felt like we were first based purely off our talent because there were still schematic yep. things where you could ask yourself, like, why isn't Frank Vogel even staggering Marc Gasol with the bench unit? You know? Right. Why, right. Isn't Schro why isn't he staggering Schroeder with the bench unit? And right. then you explain that away by saying, oh, he's just waiting to turn the page on those things because he's focused on defense and we're still number one in the league in defense, right? So you can understand from that standpoint at the start why he was doing things. But I feel like as things progressively continued to get worse, he continued to still operate at the same pace, sort of. I don't know right. if it was just him not understanding the gravity of the situation, but yeah, go ahead. I, I think like, and and, you know, not to sound weird about this, right? Because it's, it's ultimately this is just basketball, but I am a big believer in basketball karma. You know what I mean? And I feel like this kind of, you know, you mentioned earlier, what made me think of this is you, you had mentioned, you know, like, well, this is probably, we were saying at the beginning of the season, this is probably the best roster overall, just on paper that either of us had ever seen, mm -hmm. um, the Lakers for the Lakers, I should say. Um, Certainly one of the best in our lifetimes. Um, and and it did feel like, is this too good to be true? And I guess, you know, when it comes to basketball karma, I'm a big believer in 
the way that the team operates from the top down and the mentality of everybody in the organization has such a big impact on Mm -hmm. what happens over the course of a season. Last season, we came in from day one. I forget day one, months before training camp even started. Everybody was locked in. Everybody was committed. Everybody was signed up to this, you know, sort of system of, you know, we had a bunch of guys on one-year deals who had a second year opt-in and it was like, we're all in this together. We're going to make our push and we're going to try to accomplish this goal. Like one team, one goal, like from the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. It was like, we were championship minded from the very beginning, even though our offense got off to a horrifically slow start. I mean, I think people forget just how bad we were offensively (laughs) with, for a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis for like the first two, three months of last season, we were so locked in that we were just winning games. I mean, yeah, sure, we'd be involved in a fair number of close games, but we were winning games. And eventually, like over the course of grinding and grinding and grinding and working and working and working, we got the results we were looking for. We were in many ways the exact opposite of what teams like the Clippers were doing, who were kind of you know, we have the talent to win. We know we have the talent to win. We know in a seven-game series we can beat anybody. We know this, so that's why we don't need to take it that seriously. That's why our seeding doesn't matter to us. That's why we just, our health is the most important thing. I mean, like, a lot of the same stuff, like, you could tie back to them, right? And look, LeBron didn't get hurt by virtue of not playing, right? He got hurt playing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Same thing with Anthony Davis. Like, these guys didn't get hurt by resting. I just think, though, that, like, it it has never felt this entire season like like we were you know from there's been any significant stretch of time over the course of the season where like we felt like this is our team this is our goal all these guys 1 through 12 are locked into the same game plan the same script and they're ready to push forward and you know push forward collectively i think the point you raised about marcus all is like a really good point and kind of proves what I'm talking about here, right? Like whatever happened, we'll never know because they do a pretty good job nowadays of like, despite how big the market is, like keeping this kind of stuff, you know, kind of under wraps. But he clearly was not personally managed the right way. You know what I mean? And again, it just, it feels like, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We have the talent. We'll figure it out. We have the talent. We're getting Drummond. We have the talent. We'll figure it out. Like, you know, and it just is like pushing and pushing it. But this is what happens when you do that, right? You end up in a situation where now there's like 10 games left, or maybe I think it might be less than 10 games at this point. Um, and we have, yeah, eight games left. That's crazy. And like, we've never had that stretch. And now Schroeder is out for the rest of the season, you know, because of COVID (laughs) stuff, like LeBron is going to miss who knows how many more games, certainly tonight at least, but probably a couple more games before the end of the season, you know, because of his ankle thing. And you start to get this change in the quotes, like, it started with, as long as we're healthy, we need to just stay afloat. We does our seating doesn't matter. We need to get healthy and get guys on the same page, and we'll be fine. And you do see, to your point, like now that's different. Like all, already, <laughs> the hedging is starting, right? Like, and it becomes frustrating to be a fan like that, right? I don't want to be a fan of a Doc Rivers team where you know, it's yep, like yep. from the from like the like mid season, you're already hedging about how you might lose because you don't have everybody healthy. Like that, this is part of basketball. Okay, every season is like this. Every season, there's injuries. This is part of the game, and you kind of have to adapt and deal with. Every team coming into the season had weird circumstances. You know, I'm not going to say. 
you know, that they played no role in the fact that, you know, we're dealing with what we're dealing with right now, but it, it's, it became, you know, last season's team would have taken all of the excuses and been like, nope, those are excuses. We're playing for a championship. Mm -hmm. And it feels like this team is happy to embrace those excuses. Again, I, maybe that sounds a little bit harsh, but that's, that's kind of where I stand. And I think it starts at the coaching level because I don't think like Vogel in a lot of senses is not practicing what he preaches all the time, right? Like this is a guy who was keeping guys bench last year, namely Kyle Kuzma, who were not performing defensively in the beginning half of the season. Right. And you have a guy who's like by every metric rated the number, you know, top two, three center in the NBA in terms of defensive rating, understand that you need to get Andre Drummond integrated, but how could you possibly look at this roster and think that there's a chance that you're going to win without by just suddenly playing Marcus all zero minutes for the rest of the season, right? It's just like, it's weird stuff like that. It's weird that, you know, it, you know, there was so much of a delay and like, we're going to slowly ramp guys up. We're going to slowly get everybody into our defensive principles. We're going to slowly get everybody into our offense and principles. But this is what happens when you do all that stuff too slowly. You never end up with a stretch throughout the, you know, season, even though this is a 72 game season, like there's never been a stretch where we've just had like 10 games where everybody was a trying hard, you know, be healthy and C playing with normal rotations. Like, it, it's it's always been we're missing one or more of those factors. It's always been like even in the beginning half of the season when guys were healthy, like we weren't trying, right? Like we were out talenting teams, like you mentioned. Like we had the most amount of talent in the league, so we could just show up and win games, and that's why we were the one seed. But since then, it's just been injury after you know, uh, kind of excuse after tough stretch of the season. I I mean, just like everything adds up and adds up and adds up. And now we're getting to the point in the season where frankly, I think it's too late to salvage it. Um, And that's sort of where I, where I stand on the coaching. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody is feeling the squeeze and again, we're going to get to some good silver lining stuff. Um, We don't, I don't want to feel, I don't, don't want to seem so panicked, but honestly, I think to your point where you kind of alluded to the fact that maybe we're feeling a little Clippers-y last, like this year, uh, last season's Clippers, we're starting to feel like that group. I think in some respects, after you win a championship, that team and those those players, particularly the leaders at top, are afforded some level of benef- benefit of the doubt, right? But things change when your two top guys suffer injuries that take them out for a month each, Right. And so you have to recalibrate everything almost perfectly. And again, some of this is not Vogel's fault. These are the cards he was dealt. But continuity amongst the team is one thing, which I don't think he's handled pretty well. How, could, how, do you, how can you expect to gain continuity when you DNP certain guys? I understood why he was DNPing certain guys during the season when everybody was healthy. It was just... Uh, the nature of having a talented team, right? You DNP Markeith Morris and Wes Matthews for a stretch. You let them know ahead of time that you're doing that. And then you play them again. And then you sit guys like THT and, you know, Alex Caruso or something like that, right? But to do that in now and to do that during a stretch when all of, like not all of our guys are healthy, for example, when uh, we first brought Drummond on and we still didn't have LeBron James and Anthony Davis to DNP a guy like Marcus Gasol, just made no freaking sense to me. And then to double down on that, 
even now, once guys are back, and just say, we're going to need all of our centers, so stay ready. And like, well, well, again, and this, this applies to Wes Matthews too, right? I understand Ben McLemore needs reps. He's horrendous defensively, though. I understand he's hitting a bunch of threes. That's great. But for a defensive-minded coach to just not play Wes Matthews at all, and I'm, and I'm sure he'll play tonight against the Denver Nuggets. I'm sure he'll play in the last eight games. But this is because they're only finally understanding the crunch that they're in, right? But to me, this is too late in terms of how were you not thinking about this beforehand? I understand it's a lot of things coming at them. You know, I, I empathize with that. But it's just frustrating to see things like that go on. You know what I'm saying? Like, Wes Matthews should be playing because he hasn't been with this team. He hasn't even played with LeBron James and Anthony Davis for, you know, I don't even know how many games did they play together. Like 15? <laughs> I feel like 15 is the tops for like any cohesive group uh, in, or any amount of guys that have played with each other who weren't part of last year's team at this point. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't understand the logic, which is backed up by the weird quotes about experimentation like this is – like, this is the bubble seating games from last year. I know. know I, mean? so. I know. I know. Honestly, I mean, one more point I'll make here is, like, the way that the season is trending. And, and the crazy thing is they're not necessarily wrong. And I actually – look, if, if the answer is that these guys have just decided that it, this is it, they, they're not even going to try, like – it. it the injuries have been too much and there's no way they can, they can pick it up in time to get to a level to compete, whatever. I mean, it is what it is. I like, what what am I supposed to say to that? That's fine. Like then we don't win this year. But if we are actually have the goal of winning, I actually don't think the play play in game is that bad just because the higher seed has the advantage. So, and, and I actually think, I mean, for, again, the Clippers, it's a mess in the West. The Clippers are going to end up, though, either third or fourth. They're not going to rise up to second, and they're not going to fall down to fifth. The, the gaps there are substantial. So the Clippers are going to play this either the sixth seed or the um, fifth seed. The Clippers are the one team we cannot play in the first round, okay? Because I, I, I do think that despite everything we've you know talked about and, and how they haven't taken the season super seriously, we can... If we have the benefit of, you know, a few games to close the season, plus, you know, a couple days of practice, plus um, uh, the play-in games where, you know, we, as the high seed, we just have to win once, right? But if we, uh, the lower seed has to beat us twice in a row to advance, right? I think that's how it works. Um, So, you know, I kind of view it as like, okay, BFD then, right? We'll drop to seventh, we'll play the playing game will probably beat the Spurs or whoever it is at, at that point, at least once out of, you know, out of two attempts. Um, and, and then we get the benefit of kind of being able, and it feels crazy to say this, so that you want to ramp yourself up against the one or two seed in the, in the West, but we will get the benefit of being able to ramp ourselves up against a team like Utah or a team like Phoenix, who we can kind of match up with and scheme against much more than a team like than the Clippers who have like the, playoff experience and the talent to just like completely come in and they've had, I mean, they haven't had a ton of continuity either, but they've certainly had much more than us and they could come in and blast us away. So ultimately I still don't think it's the end of the world, but that's almost why I get a little bit more frustrated that the commentary is already starting right now because it's like, Oh, wait, wait, wait. 
You guys sure. were saying like, you know, last week that it was going to be fine. It didn't matter. You know, whatever. We're not talking about the play-in game. We, we won't drop to that point. But now that there's a chance that we could drop to the play-in game, like suddenly it's it's shifted so much. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I personally think I would take, if I had to choose, I would take the play-in game, but you guarantee you don't see the Clippers in the first round as opposed to finish the sixth seed, but there's a chance, a decently good chance you see the Clippers in the first round. Like, I think I would take the former, right? Like, you know, so regardless of preferences, though, it's almost irrelevant. It, it, I guess my point is, though, I don't think anything has substantially changed. We weren't going to have home court throughout in either event. So why are you now, like, throwing up your arms and being like, we quit? Uh, you know, in this circumstance. And, and that's sort of like what I, I feel like is, is happening and it becomes frustrating. Right. So I think to clarify it, as the seventh seed, we'd have to play, I guess, whoever wins out of whichever bracket. They, the seventh seed will play a certain team. And if they lose that game, we will have another chance to, we'll have one additional chance to win a game. Does that make sense? Where it's not like a two-game series or something like that. Oh, I thought it would. I, I thought it was I mean, like I could that. Be totally but it's, making this up. Oh, so it's not that we play the ten seed. It's it's not. So we okay. the, the two chances we get is the fact that we get to play once, and then if we lose that game, we still get to play another game against another team, against another oh, see, another winner. If that makes any sense. Um, I got it. Okay. But regardless, if if you win, you'll play either Denver or the Suns, right? Or the Suns or the Jazz. The, oh, sorry, exactly. The Suns are the Jazz. And I, too, do not want to face the Clippers because they have freaking Rajon Rondo, okay? Um, that guy's going to kill us. I just know it. And the the reason why I hate the idea of the play in a game is what I alluded to earlier, not even alluded, what I said earlier about you just don't want to give yourself chances to get even more injured. You know what I mean? And the short turnaround time and all that stuff. And going back to your point about just, you know, doing the basketball gods right, just freaking win the games that you're supposed to win right now while establishing some continuity and even if your preference is to like go through the play in games and get a get a matchup with like the Suns or the Jazz like I, that's not necessarily you know respecting the the basketball gods right but i guess in, in you, what you're talking about is if it so happens that they fall to that point it, it's fine still um or it's not as bad as people are making it out to be but yeah, regardless, I, I think everybody is on edge. It's been a frustrating time. Uh, we're going to take it to break here. When we return, I guess we'll talk a little bit about the bad basketball that we've been seeing and then also just kind of wrap it up with a little bit more, I don't know, hopeful end, hopeful tinge. Uh, we'll try and find some silver linings and some good aspects about where the Lakers now find themselves. So we'll take it to break first and when we return, our second segment. All right, so we're back. Um, Tommy, talk to me about what you've seen on the basketball floor. It hasn't been great. Um, Anthony Davis looks disengaged mentally. He's getting the counting stats once again with regards to, I guess, steals and blocks and whatnot. But I think defensively, he looks like a seven-foot version of Ben McLemore sometimes out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, what the hell is he doing, dude? I, honestly, we haven't talked in so long. I, I thought I thought I was the only one noticing this stuff. Like, no. So, uh, th- so there's that. And then on the other hand, there's Andre Drummond, and he's put, been putting up the stats, you know? And I don't even feel like this is Andre Drummond's fault. Again, this comes from the top. And w- I don't know what they're telling this guy, this guy, but why are we posting Andre Drummond up? Why are we letting him ISO? We said, okay, maybe you can kind of do that when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are not playing. But even then, I was like, maybe just establish good habits now of what his role is going to be. You know, I know you need the points and whatever, but 
Maybe just have him pick and roll all day long. And us force-feeding the ball into Andre Drummond while Anthony Davis and LeBron James are out there is absolutely ludicrous. And then on top of that, the way we utilize Kyle Kuzma, who at this point you don't have an excuse to not play him 30 minutes if you want to. Your only excuse at this point is I've got a bunch of talented guys that I should be playing. But at this point you can't – I mean Kyle Kuzma plays like – the best defense on this team, Grant, given you know Anthony Davis and LeBron James' shape right now, right? And for him to have in the last game one shot attempt while we're force-feeding Andre Drummond the ball, I understand you know what Kyle Kuzma can do, but you should also be trying to win games, right, for seeding purposes. I don't know. All of that just sits so sourly with me yeah. <laughs> and just misutilization of everything. It's like we go through these stretches, dude, where we can't score a bucket and you look over and Kyle Kuzma hasn't, like, hasn't had a shot attempt in like five minutes. Like last, last night's game, he started off the game like four for six and then he's on the floor for like four minutes and he doesn't get a shot because we're focused on, I don't know, trying to get Drummond acclimated or something. It, all of this on top of the fact that Marc Gasol wasn't even able to play his, you know, part two revenge game against the Toronto Raptors, which, you know, the last time he played the Raptors, he had his best game as a Laker, right? So, okay, talk to me about what you're seeing with Drummond on the floor, because it's clear to me at this point, regardless of how much Frank Vogel wants to get Drummond, AD, and LeBron James together, that that should not be our closing lineup, which is what he, he which is a lineup he closed with against, um, I think the Nuggets, right? Um, that first game uh, over the weekend. I forgot who we were playing. Oh, it was against Sacramento. Even worse, it wasn't even the Nuggets. We, oh, we, yeah, clo- yeah. we closed. We were. Tr- I mean, we finally reinserted Cal Kuzma back in with two minutes left. But like, he finally saw that you know Drummond was getting destroyed by these perimeter shooters that the Kings had. But it's just so ridiculous, like the mismanagement. On, on a, in a year, in a season when Kyle Kuzma is finally playing defense and, and hitting a pretty good rate from three-point land. But it, this is not about Kuzma. It's, that is just like an indicator, a symptom of, I think, a larger thing that's been happening, which is mismanagement. But <sighs> Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it, the mismanagement, I think, though, gets back to what we were even talking about earlier with like the coaching maybe potentially not taking this seriously. I mean, like... I still think that what, you know, Drummond is a much better player, despite, you know, the defense, some of the defensive issues. If you need somebody to, you need to just throw in for like a 20 minute stretch. I'm talking about like, you know, not for this specific context or that specific context, just like a 20 minute center. Andre Drummond is a better player than Dwight Howard. Okay. Especially at, at this point in his career, I'm not talking about again, if you need somebody to go out there for one stop and get you one stop against Yogi, I'm talking about, yeah. you know, just on the whole, you know, I, he's better. But when Dwight Howard came in again, it, it, what, what is the culture? What is the identity? What, what, what are we trying to build here? Like there was this whole freaking thing when Dwight came about how, he had to be interviewed by like all the players on the yep. team and like Rondo was asking him super intense questions and he like it he made it very clear to everybody that like he only cared about uh winning and he wasn't going to do the same stuff he did before and he didn't care about his touches and he just wanted to play defense and he wanted to be an elite defender like where is that with respect to Andre Drummond or you know some of the other guys that that we've had on this team it, yeah, can I jump off of that? Because you're making a good point in terms of last yeah. year, that was established from the get-go, like solid. You could not break that. Like Dwight knew his role. And this year, it's not only the fact that Drummond doesn't know his role, 
But the Lakers, especially if you tie this back to the Marcus Gasol thing, rolled the red carpet out for this guy. You see him sitting with like LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like he's the new part of the new big three. It's almost like a marketing campaign. Like Vogel is trying to feed into the marketing campaign of Drummond being part of the new big three as opposed to, yo, we just needed you because we were freaking banged up and you were like literally the best option on the buyout market at, at, at 27 years old. You know, it's not, but there's a reason why you were on the buyout market as well. You know, so the fact that we just forget that Marcus Gasol is here and every time you put him in, he has the best plus minus and we go on a run. Yeah, it's I mean, just, he's good. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's kind of, yeah. But, yeah but, that's, but that's what I'm saying. Like, why was it not understood and like told to Drummond or dictated very publicly. I mean, with Dwight, it wasn't just told to him. It was dictated very publicly to the media that this is what we told Dwight and this is what we're expecting from him. Nobody asked. Just like every, like, it's just like we said this. This is this is how it's going to go on this team. And it, it just doesn't really feel like that. Like, why, you're, you know, again, to your point, this is... We should very, very rarely be in it. Of course, in in a in a forty eight minute game, there are going to be a few touches here and there where Drummond gets the ball and he has to do something with it, right? He has to post up, he has to make a move to the rim, like whatever. The often offense is stagnating, low time on the shot clock, whatever. It's going to happen, but it feels like we're going to that as like a first resort, <laughs> like <laughs> way too often. I, you know, it feels like we're trying to use Andre Drummond the same way that we use JaVale McGee, where Andre clearly does not have the vertical explosiveness that, you know, I, frankly, either of our two centers um, had yeah. last year. We're, we're there will be opportunities to figure out how to get him touches in, in ways that he can be impactful but like, what are we doing with, with him just in general? It, it just doesn't feel like it really, it, it doesn't really feel like it makes a whole lot of sense. Like, you know, you can look at up and down the roster pretty much when we, and I love everything that Ben McLemore has done for, for us since he's come in. He's, he's by far our most consistent shooter. Um, you know, you might call him streaky, but I mean, every three point shooter, I mean, Steph Curry has had games against us where he's gone like over 10 from three, right? Like, obviously that's an extreme example, but you know, he is a, by far our best overall shooter. He can curl off screens and, and just catch and fire. And, you know, doesn't matter who's defending him. If he gets hot, certainly really doesn't matter who's defending him. Like he has an extreme value for us in that respect. We've never had a player, though, who was, like, that one-dimensional who Frank Vogel, like, would actually commit significant minutes to. Like, at this point, when Ben McLemore comes into the game, our offense becomes all about feeding him the ball and in the spots that he needs to get his shots. And, okay, if we're going to do that so that we can get our guys, you know, in muscle memory and get them in rhythm to be able to execute those plays for the six minutes a game Ben McLemore actually ultimately ends up playing then sure. But it doesn't feel like that's what we're doing. We're playing Ben McLemore 20 minutes a game. Now Wes has been completely phased out of the rotation. He's like, he still needs to get his reps in with like, he, it's not like he's had a ton of time with AD or, you know, it's not like he's had a ton of time with LeBron. Like these guys all need to keep getting more minutes. And it's just so, so crazy that there was a stretch where, you know, and it frankly was a very small, in hindsight, you know, certainly when the season is over, it's going to feel like a very small amount of time where AD was hurt, Mark had COVID, or didn't have COVID, but like had was in part of the protocol or whatever. And 
it seemed like we were desperate for another big man. And then we got that, but it's like much delayed, you know, we got that big man, but it's like, there's been no adapting to, okay, but where does he fit now? You know what I mean? It it just, it's, it's so, it's just incredibly frustrating. And, you know, and look, I'll say this just to cover our asses. And it could be the case that, and this is where we transition into the silver linings part of everything. It could be the case that things turn out like last year somehow. It will be a miracle that if it does. But in terms of, you know, maybe Frank Vogel will surprise us once again and he's playing a little bit. I don't think he's playing possum, but maybe he is in terms of, you know, uh, Dion Waiters was getting run in the bubble seeding games and was playing like 20 minutes a game too. So maybe once the playoffs start, Frank Vogel's like, all right, let's cut this shit out. Uh, ben McElmore, you're not playing anymore. Drummond, you're playing maybe 10 minutes in the JaVale McGee role to default start games and to give us a little bit of life. And Marc Gasol, you're going to play the majority of the minutes or Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma, Anthony Davis, you know, you guys are the front court. Maybe all of that happens and we eat crow. I would love to eat crow in that fashion. But again, I think everything rests on LeBron's right. Everything rests on his health. None of this is going to matter if LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't healthy, right? They don't look healthy. And when the infrastructure around them looks as wobbly as it has, I I don't know how you can be confident about that, you know? Maybe if we had established some sort of rhythm and it seems like the coach was doing more intuitively smart things like, you know, playing Marc Gasol, which Kyle Kuzma actually said that they should probably do. I mean, that's when, you know, things are going like, you know, off the rails. that is wild. Where like players are like, you know, maybe we should play this guy. (laughs) Um, so when things like that are happening around the edges and you can maybe handicap LeBron James, Anthony Davis at like, we're not going to get hundred percent of them this year. We understand that we'll get 80% of them. I think in a normal season, when you have, when you're doing things right, the process is sound and you're not doing weird stuff and saying you're experimenting with eight games left as you slide into the playing games, maybe you have more room for optimism, right? Even with LeBron James and Anthony Davis at 80%. But with the way things have gone up until this point, and maybe they'd win, they'd win against Denver tonight, and that starts the shift into better things or momentum or whatever. But it just seems like we have added insult, literal insult to injury. That, that, maybe that's just the name of this episode, because we haven't done the things on the edges to even give us any sort of buffer for LeBron James and Anthony Davis to not be at not even 100%, but we can't even have them be at 90% because everything we've done on the sides, on the edges, has sucked, you know? Um, okay, <laughs> let's end this on a... Let's try and end this on a positive note as best we can. There are some silver linings, some some good things about the Lakers potentially being a sixth seed, a seventh seed, etc. You already sort of brought up the fact that if they are the seventh seed, well, they get to face the... Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns, who they both of those teams don't have any experience uh, going far in the playoffs. You know, they have mm-hmm. great veterans like Chris Paul, Mike Conley, etc. But they too are still a new group. Or I guess I'm speaking more about the Suns. So you've already brought that point up. Um, I guess I can bring up the point that the Lakers will surely have no lack of bulletin board material <laughs> this season if they oh enter God. the playoffs, which they will enter the playoffs as a sixth seed as a seventh seed, maybe a five seed. Um, But I guess there is something historic about one having won the championship last year as the only champion to not have fans in any of the games. (laughs) 
Um, and literally, yeah, little, not only not have home court advantage, but not have any home games in general with fans. So that's a feat in and of itself that they were able to be champions in that context. It would be historic and amazing to follow that championship up with a back-to-back championship where you have no home court advantage in the playoffs at all, provided that the team in the East, you know, there aren't any upsets along the way with other uh, series. Um, And if they do that, the Lakers would be only the second team to win a championship having no home court advantage all throughout the playoffs. The first team to do that was the 94-95 Rockets. So that's a cool thing to have on your mantle and something that I think will, like, motivate LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They'll just be hearing all the hysteria that's going on right now, and that's only going to continue to build. And they can use that as motivation, you know, as fire, fuel to the fire, obviously. Um, do you want to tack on to that or, I guess, say more about that line? Or if you have anything new, go ahead. No, I think you covered it. Okay. Well, in that sense, do you have any other silver linings at all? <laughs> um. I think the only other thing, and this is like honestly a stretch, but you know, maybe this will kind of force the guys to not take things for granted. I mean, I'm honestly not even thinking about <laughs> when I say that, I, I even mean more about next season than this season, uh, yeah, frankly, yeah, yeah. because like you won last season, it was a weird year, but you know, you were the best team until the season stopped. You were the best team in the bubble. You were the best team. So you deserve to win. It felt like this year, I don't want to say greedy is like not the right word, but it it felt like, you know, well, we took that team, like essentially the core, which is really LeBron and AD. And we added to that Dennis Schroeder. We added to that um, uh, Montrez Harrell. And we just, you know, we added Wes Matthews. We added Marcus. I mean, we made significant, significant upgrades in the off season on paper. And so maybe you think that like, oh, well, you know, this is how it goes in the NBA. The Warriors won for a few years. Then like, you know, before them, it was the Heat were competitive most years for, for several years. And before them, it was, uh, you know, whoever, there's always some team that is like kind of competitive for a stretch of time. And and maybe you get the feeling that some of the guys on this team thought, well, this is our time now we have LeBron locked up. We have AD locked up. We're going to be competitive, you know, starting last season for about four or five years. And, you can't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that kind of like everything that's happened this season re-energizes, reinvigorates them for next season. Um, because, I, you know, again, it would take substantial efforts to revert everything that's that's gone on in, in the uh, the last month or, or last, certainly the last two weeks or so. And I, I just, you know, you, you just said that at some point have to start looking at silver linings for next season, which is kind of sad mm. to say. Okay, I'll I'll bring it back to this season still, but good point. Yeah. Um, I'll say no home court advantage may actually help this team focus better because it seems like they are at their best, even in this season, when they're faced with fans of opposing teams, um, literal fans of opposing teams. And I think they were at one point like one of the, the best road team, right? They had won a significant amount of their games on the road versus at home. So no home court advantage is actually sort of fitting. If there's any identity that this team can come up with for this season, it's like, oh, we have been road warriors, right? And I guess that extends to last season as well. So that's a good thing, hopefully. Um, I guess just with regards to the timing of the situation, like with the playoffs on the line, hopefully politics go out the window and Frank Vogel stops 
servicing all of these different players that he felt like he need to he needed to surf, service throughout the season, right? Maybe it becomes more uh, it becomes a reality that why the hell are we catering catering to Andre Drummond? Because if I'm Marc Gasol, I'm asking for a buyout this summer. You know what I mean? <laughs> the way that he's sort of been treated, right. it's it's bizarre. He's like the one guy out of it, this crop of guys who's actually on contract for next season. <laughs> So, but yeah, hopefully with the playoffs on the line, the politics go out the window. And then, you know, fans being in the stands may actually give the Lakers the energy that they needed. It hasn't seemed to make a difference nah. this <laughs> recently, but who knows? You know, th- I guess this is going back to that false hope that there is a switch. I guess my last silver lining is the fact that it's it's hard to forget because we are in our Lakers vacuum, but everyone else is dealing with continuity issues as well. Um, So I actually don't think there's a team outside of maybe the Phoenix Suns who has been super cohesive. And even the Phoenix Suns, they're a team that was assembled this year, right? Chris Paul is the main driving force of them being the number one seed. Uh, But they're still relatively new and you don't know how they're going to respond in a pressure situation against the, you know, in the playoffs. And that can be said for Chris Paul himself. No knock on him. Um, but yes, the whole league has has dealt with continuity issues. You see what's happening with the Miami Heat, how much how long it's taken them to even be competitive again. You see what's been happening with the Boston Celtics, et cetera, et cetera. The, the freaking Toronto Raptors went from uh were they in the Eastern Conference Finals last year? They went from an Eastern Conference Finals team to a freaking tank team this year. I mean, it's ironic that I say that because they absolutely like kicked us in the ass yesterday. But you can just see the toll that the quick turnaround has had and the bubble season has had. And so I think the Lakers aren't the only ones dealing with continuity issues. And that goes for the Clippers as well, the team that we're you know, most afraid of, because they have new guys all over the place. Like Patrick Beverly has been in and out. Like, how are they going to juggle that when he returns? You know, um, Serge Ibaka hasn't been playing. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. You're right. Every team has issues. Every team is kind of peaking at different times. Frankly, I feel like the entire league, and I obviously, you know, everyone would say this is self-serving for the Lakers. I'm sure Phoenix and uh, the Jazz wouldn't want this. Um, but I, I feel like every team would just benefit. And I guess most teams who are not in the play-in will will benefit from this. But every team would do wonders to be, or would greatly, greatly benefit from just having a week, 10 days maybe, where at, at the end of the season where they can just fucking... Excuse my language, but they could just like get people, you know, out of the COVID protocols, get people healthy, you know, practice, have real practices as a team together. I mean, the NBA is restricted so much of that stuff, right? So it would be nice for teams to get that chance. I don't think it's going to happen. Everybody has to play with the same rules, so these are the rules, you know, and and. uh and yeah, at, at least in in some ways, we're playing with a level level playing field. I mean, Kawhi has been out for weeks, right? So he just came back in the last game against mm-hmm. Denver. So you know that every team is, even the competitor or the main contenders are, are dealing with injuries, and it's going to be super weird. I you know, I, just thinking about all the weirdness, I I feel bad for whatatever team has to face the Wizards in the first round in the East. Like <laughs> I know. If, if the Wizards end up playing up to like the seven seed or something and play the Nets, I would be scared if I was. I mean, Russell Westbrook is he is who he is, but he's on the tear. Like you know, every team is peaking at different times. The Wizards have won like ten of their last eleven games or something, like eleven of their last thirteen or something like yeah. that. Well, I'll say this uh, to counteract your you know play in point. I if we face the Warriors, I think we're gonna lose. It, it takes one <laughs> Steph Curry game and the way that we've been defending the three point line. 
I think we're going to lose that game, you know? So I'd, I'd like to avoid even just having the option to potentially face the Golden State Warriors in the play-in games. Um, even though they are a terrible team, if you just remove like Draymond Green or Steph Curry from their roster, but you've seen the way that Steph Curry can light up a freaking, even if it's a good team, that's a good defensive team, you know? So, um, yeah, I I think one last positive thing is that this is, I mean, potentially exciting, right? It's been frustrating up until this point, but we are getting to a point where the rubber meets the road, and we're really going to find out, like, yeah, what is this team, what is like this team made of? I know, exactly. So that's exciting in and of itself because it's feeling like a Game 7 sort of period for the Lakers. And, you know, if we suck and we, you know, totally fall to the moment, like you said, at least it's a learning experience, right? I mean, that sounds sappy, but it is, you know. And it's going to suck if you do this, again, during LeBron James as a 36-year-old, right, during his 36th year. Um mm-hmm. And as he continues to, like, physically dwindle. So I'm excited at the potential that the Lakers, you know, step up to the plate after such a strange and uneven and disconnected, discombobulated season and summon forth their resiliency that they had all of last season. You know, there's no Kobe driving factor that they can hold on to. But the fact that they are literally a sucky team, (laughs) like... They're be- playing bad and their seating reflects that, you know, there, there's no, it's not falsified bulletin board material. Like they literally suck. Um, so hopefully they can use that as fuel and it'll be fun to see them. If, even if they are in the play in, play in game, it'll be fun to see like if they can turn on a switch or, or whatever. Um, but if they are able to go like go through this season, what an amazing, you know, back to back championship I, know. Um, I mean, that would be incredible. That literally unprecedented on all levels. So it, it, time will tell. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm all of a sudden feeling hopeful. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and then I'll have to watch this game against the Denver Nuggets and I'll be like, I oh, forget it. LeBron James yeah. isn't playing. Dennis Schroeder isn't playing. But you know what? Uh, hold out hope, guys. The playoffs are literally next in two weeks. It's so crazy to say that. But yeah, when everything is on the line and games matter once again, um, how is this championship-level team going to respond? Uh, it'll be the most interesting championship to date for sure because I think if we compare this team to the 2013 now-this-is-going-to-be-fun team where Kobe dragged the Lakers team all the way to the finish line of making the playoffs, we, we, never, we were robbed of the chance to see Kobe Bryant healthy to even see what he could do with a seventh seed, right? This team, presumably, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis make it to the end here, we're going to have our stars healthy. To what capacity, I don't know. But they're going to be like a sixth seed, a seventh seed with LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy. Much in the same way, if you go back to that 2013 year, I wonder what would have happened if Kobe hadn't gone down with an Achilles injury, right? And if Steve Nash hadn't gotten hurt, like what could have, right. what could that team have done with Nash, Kobe, Steve Blake, Dwight Howard as disjointed that as that team was, it seemed like Kobe Bryant was going to put everybody on his back regardless. And it wasn't going to matter. Mm-hmm. Can LeBron James and Anthony Davis do that at 85%, 80, 85%? I don't know, but we'll see. Um, all right. We'll leave it at that. Follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. This will probably be the last podcast we have before, right before the playoffs start. And I guess we can do like a playoff preview after the dust settles and if we have to do a play-in game, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this show is going to be more of a buy 
weekly episode, so two episodes uh, a month or so, just because everybody's super busy. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you guys next time. Tommy? Peace. Peace. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.